inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning, everybody. This is Outlook on 94.9 Radio Western. And I guess we're here, Brian, and we're into fall. We're into October. Yeah, it's really weird. We're still recording shows from home here, and we're recording this one a little bit in advance here. So it's actually the evening, um, but we like to make it seem as live as possible. So... Um, yeah, when this is airing, it will be October if you're listening to this live on Radio Western. And happy to be back with another Outlook episode and an- another guest. We've really been, if, if to try and look at some positives from the pandemic, it's encouraged us to find some more guests uh, from home. It's a bit easier to get them on. We had, we're trying to figure out the phone system at the station. So this is even easier. So it's been working out quite well. It is. And I just like to speak with a whole bunch of different people across Canada and beyond just to get different outlooks. But um, yeah, today our guest is Patricia, um, Patricia Alger- Algersma. Is that right? <laughs> Algersma, yeah. Algersma, close, yeah. Close enough. <laughs> I was going to ask actually beforehand how to pronounce it because I wasn't yeah. totally sure. I, so I usually go, and it sounds in my head the way it sounds, the voiceover with my phone, so. I was wrong, I guess, there, but yeah. Thank you for coming on. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah. When you not that long, actually, in Facebook land, especially. <laughs> um, we met at a, com- a conference. Was it last year or the year before? Yeah, last year. Yeah, it would have been last year. So. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Crazy. Thanks. Yeah. I was on that. Yeah, no, I, I ran into you at the registration table there at the first morning. And- mm-hmm. Yeah, that was at the the convention for the Canadian Federation of the Blind last year. Um, And I I met you, actually. A few people went out for lunch one of the days, and I think we ended up at a Tim Hortons. Yes. I remember that. I do, yes. uh, (laughs) That's the thing about these conventions in general that's really nice is you do get to connect with so many different people and keep up with people, and it's just a great experience, so... Yeah, you never know who you might end up meeting. So thanks again. And maybe just tell us a bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Sure. So I am living in Vancouver in BC, and that's where Carrie and Bright and I met. Um, But I grew up on Vancouver Island, which is, well, from where I grew up, it's about six hours from here. Um, So I have to take uh sky train and buses and ferries and so the only thing i haven't taken is a plane i guess <laughs> um and i basically lived on the island um until i was 21 no sorry 21 was when i kind of branched out from my my little island paradise to a bigger city on the island and then i came to vancouver or, or the mainland i guess generally speaking um when i was 25 so I have been on the mainland. It will be 10 years, crazy to think, next September. So I've, I've kind of been like counting down from now. I'm like, 
can't believe that it's going to be 10 years. And I would have never imagined myself to be a city girl. And I don't think that has really left me in terms of the country because um, I grew up on farmland and our closest neighbor was literally a two minute walk away. So right. yeah, <laughs> this is kind of weird, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been good. The city is a lot more accessible than the country. So overall it's been good and um, I'm able to get employment in bigger cities. So, yeah. Yeah. It's similar for us when we grew up in a, in a sense, cause we did, we grew up in the country as well. And uh, when I, when I turned 19, I was like, Oh, I want to move to the big city. So I moved to Toronto, which was quite a change. And then now I'm back here living in London, Ontario, which is a little smaller. It's still a, still a city. And I have, I have mixed feelings. It's like you say, the convenience of being in a, in a bigger city for transit and everything is amazing. And some sometimes the job options, there's usually more options there. But at the same time, there is something nice about, about the country as well. So, Yeah. It's one of those questions. Is, is it is it better in life to sort of go in stages, start in a small neighborhood, and then you go out into a bigger city, and then, or do you just take a big leap? Well, I, I went in stages because I went from, you know, small to bigger to even bigger and for me it's been the right approach so okay. you're dipping your toe in the water a little bit yeah at a time so uh what would you uh have you had a stable um eye condition all this your life or have you had any changes uh no it's been yeah um i was born with retinopathy of prematurity so right. it's just been the way it's been um so basically light perception and nothing else i don't see shapes or shadows or colors or anything like that it's just and and by light perception it's literally sunlight and flashlights so the only way i can tell if a light's on in my house is to look at the switch yeah it's so fascinating to think about different levels of these all these different eye conditions that people have because i would say i have light perception as well but i i can see a little bit of shadow um but not much more than that so based on that it seems like i see maybe a little more than you but not very much not, not enough to be functional <laughs> yeah <though>. exactly <laughs> no. yeah yeah i think that's definitely the one of the biggest things that people that wonder about ask about don't understand about this sort of array of amounts of vision or not not vision and it, it ends up sounding like we're competing with each other or something it's not that at all no no it isn't bit of yeah, direction in, in in a way and i think I, I learned a couple of years ago from a goal ball perspective actually i'm considered as having vision and i'm like what what does that mean exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know what i mean crazy yeah yeah, like for me, for me to say that I see more than you seems kind of weird because it's, <laughs> it's, it's very, it's very minor. It's not. Uh, it it might be helpful for you at some point, though. I I don't know if you are able to use that with O and M and stuff. I I think to some degree I do, but at the same time, someone might might also say that if if that's your least important sense, like you really should be maybe I should be focusing more on hearing than that. But at the same time, if if you have a little bit, you you're naturally going to use exactly. It yeah and uh there's nothing wrong with that either so no i don't i don't think so either yeah so what was your um schooling like then uh i went to public school school, yeah yeah so i I was mainstreamed well i think most of us in bc were probably mainstreamed because there are no schools for the blind here i was just thinking that 
So, yes, I basically went to public school in so I where I lived as a kid, I basically had lived there since the age of 3. <laughs> like I never I honestly did not experience moving until I went to university. Um well, and apart from I guess when my parents moved from a little house I had lived in as a little tiny baby but of course when you're that young you don't really remember moving um so my only memory is ever being in one house and so I kind of went to all the schools within my neighborhood I guess and just kind of did that and um I was the only blind kid in my school and yeah just did schooling like everyone else I had a a braillist who did all my elementary years with me. And then I had another a transition to a, another Braillist in high school. Um, and the same with my vision teacher. I had a vision teacher who did the elementary years and then one that did most of high school as well. So yeah, overall it was a pretty decent experience, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it was the same, same for us. We both, we were both integrated into the public school system and, uh, Overall, it was it was quite nice. Um, on a whole, did you find it? Did you find? It, were there any negatives that you've noticed growing up through school, or was it pretty positive overall for you? Or? I, I think it was pretty positive overall. I do remember vividly a memory, like when I was in about the tenth grade, wanting to go to a school for the blind because I felt that I could maybe learn some other skills there that wouldn't have been as concentrated on in being mainstreamed like I always had this perception that schools for the blind taught you more blindness related skills and whether that was true or not it remains to be seen but I I think at that point I kind of had that wanting to go there but generally it was pretty good I mean I didn't have a ton of friends but the friends that I did have were true friends and one of them I am still friends with to this day and we've been friends since the third grade and yeah so I think the friendships that I did make were very meaningful ones, mostly. Yeah. Oh, that's great. You know, there's usually, there's usually pros and cons. And I'm sure, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, Brian, but I know I had at least one time where I did think, have that same thought that, well, maybe going to a school for the blind would have taught me things or I would have, you know, what if kind of thing. I don't know, Brian, if you did that also. Yeah. I'm trying to remember if there were any times specifically, I can't offhand. I really can't actually think of any. Um, I know I did always find it a little. I found recess to be a little difficult sometimes when you go outside and all a lot of the kids would run off and start playing sports or something, and I'd kind of just be there standing there, being like, "Oh, what do I do now?" Um, yeah. <laughs> but as far as class and and everything, I I think overall I never I didn't really think about it. Right, and of course you know people history with bullying that varies from person to person it doesn't matter who you are but I did wonder about the history of how long blind kids have been integrated into schools uh going back as far as having schools for the blind to actually send them to it's just I guess if there isn't one yeah I never really thought about that yeah we're from here from here in Ontario we're just used to knowing like we didn't we didn't go there but we always knew about the W. Ross school in in Brantford so here it's just so, kinda... somehow we even knew about it like I knew about that school even growing up not I think I was a little bit older once I learned about it and I don't remember how I learned about it but yeah I think other parts of Canada 
blind people know about it, but it just doesn't factor in for most of us, I think. Yeah, it just really depends, I think, who who ends up going there or not. And there were people that went there that did live in other places and other parts of Canada that went there because they wanted to go to a blind school. And like you said, out West, there weren't, there weren't any. So no, there, there was, and I don't know the exact history. I'd have to do my research on it, but there was at one point a school for the blind in, in BC called Jericho Hill. And, and they, I think it was deaf and blind people though. And, and I I think the generation sort of in the sixties was part of that, but that was definitely before my time. Yeah, getting involved with the Canadian Federation of the Blind, which is really all begun out west, it affected us with that part of the country that we really weren't before. We were very Ontario-centric. Uh, and, of course, we knew people who went to the School for the Blind. Uh, so um, did you know many blind people growing up? If you, uh... um, Yeah, so I, I went to camps um, oh. from the age of 10. Uh, before that, my vision teacher actually did kind of a pen pal kind of a deal where um, there were a couple of blind people on the island that they got us communicating with. And so we'd have little picnics and stuff once or twice a year. Um, and a group of us would get together. And so some of those kids I met from there first, and then we kind of reunited at, at the camps later on. Um, so yeah, I was, but going to a camp full of, blind people was sort of that moment when you realized oh I'm not so different after all and you kind of got to feel more normal I guess because everybody was just like you there so it was definitely the highlight of my sort of pre-teen up until the end of my teens kind of experience Um, and I know a lot of other blind friends of mine really love to go back as adults but I think for me I've kind of passed through that phase and I'd want to go back probably for a reunion maybe, but nothing camp-esque about it. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of blind kids did go to some sort of camp, right, Brian? Yeah, it seems quite common in here in Ontario. There was uh, Lake Joseph, uh, the camp here, and uh, it's sort of the same situation for us. I mean, maybe not, we didn't maybe go as as long as, as you may have, but you know, it got to a point and I've always considered, you know, what it would be like to go there as an adult, but I've never, I've never done it. For me, I found the, the conventions, um, the, the NFB one in Orlando that I, that we went to, and then the, the Canadian Federation of the Blind ones here, I found those to be a really great experience just to be around a lot of blind people as adults and to see blind people living their lives and being successful and, and whatever it is they're, they're doing. It just, I found that to be really inspiring. So I guess that's my closest comparison to camp at this point. <laughs> and what about Braille? Were you have like, you basically know it all your, your whole life? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't learn it as young as some kids would have in the sense of, you know, some kids start at three or four. Um, I saw it at three or four, but it wasn't actively part of my life at three or four. Um, I basically started learning in kindergarten when, all the sighted kids started learning print, but yeah, for all intents and purposes, it was always part of my life. Um, I was a slow reader though. So at a certain point I thought I was too cool for Braille and e-text really took over my life. But uh, I think I was able to become proficient enough in it that now I've actually almost went 
backward to the sense where I don't actually enjoy reading books audibly, um, mostly because I hear speech so much all day in my job that if I ever want to do any leisure reading, I, I insist on doing it in Braille. I don't want to see anything audio related. Um, and then I have a, an 80 cell Braille display at work. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally pro Braille. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because I've thought about that many times too. Like, I've I've always loved Braille, but the same it's the same reason for me for reading a book. Aside from the fact that I just also like Braille a lot, but it's it is the fact that I'm constantly listening all the time, and and the sense of touch is one of those senses sometimes I don't think about. And having that opportunity to be able to read something and give my ears a rest, I really appreciate. Well, it's that. nice to just be in your own head for once, you know. Yeah, and for and sure. and have the voices you know, be the ones that you construct as you're reading a story as opposed to them being laid out for you because so much is already laid out for you. So, Yeah, I think as as blind people, we definitely do use our sense of hearing a lot more. And I think it's at some times it can get exhausting to be listening to speech all day or even for me with music. I find that if I'm listening to music too long, sometimes I just like a little break to clear my head. Yeah, well, we like to emphasize Braille and Outlook, obviously. Uh, we talk about the the trick of learning it depending on your age and all those things. But uh, when we talk to someone like you, Patricia, we like to show that Braille does play a huge role in our lives. Oh, yeah. I mean, I there's so many things in my job that I use Braille for. <laughs> just, just countless. I, I use it every day. Now, during school, um, there's... We've been talking about this uh, with our previous guest that we had on, how Braille is obviously the alphabet and short forms and all that, but then there's there's math Braille and music Braille. So, and those are a little bit more advanced in a different system to some degree. So, kind of curious. Growing up in school, did you did you how how were math Braille and did you get music Braille as well? I did not get music Braille. It's probably my biggest regret. Um, Nemeth was just all part of the whole package. Like I, I, and I never, I, I don't know if that's the way it is for some kids in the sense that they just grow up learning literary and then they don't incorporate the math bit. But when I grew up, I just always, it was common that Nemeth was just part of the deal. Like you, who wouldn't learn how to, it was, it was like doing math and print kind of thing for us. Right. So yeah, Nemeth was always there. Um, and actually in high school, my vision teacher was a, math major so for her math oh. like she Ooh. yeah right so nemeth was all, all all there um but no braille music i did attempt to learn it twice <laughs> uh but it, it was really hard for me because i have perfect pitch so uh learning music was a lot easier that way and i think my problem was because my my life was so musically enriched from basically birth on, I knew, like, when you would see, um, you know, because when you start out learning music and there's you start with your first pieces, they're usually little kids' songs, right? So yeah. I, I would see it and I'd go, oh, I think it's this song. And I'd see the first, like, five notes. And then when I knew that it was that song, it was, it was almost like it, it was unmotivating to read because I already knew what was coming up. So what's the point? is kind of how I saw it. Um, and then I was like, well, why do I have to learn how to read this if I just have to memorize it anyway? And so it, it, there was just so many unmotivating factors about it. But 
honestly, I wish I would have learned it. But I think another one of the challenges is, is you, it's, well, okay, not easy, but in the blind world, provided all things are equal, right? It's easy to find somebody who knows Braille. And it's easy to find somebody who knows music. But it's not easy to find someone who knows both. And I think as a transcriber, you if you are transcribing Braille music, you should know what you're reading to transcribe. Yeah, music Braille was always a, a tricky one. I never really got into it that much either. I did in, in high school. I I took trumpet briefly, so I learned a bit then. But again, the the Braille teacher there and or the transcriber whoever whoever was involved at that point didn't really know braille music at the either so it's kind of like you're learning sort of on your own and yeah it just doesn't and that's something that other students don't have to deal with like when they're learning music and they're learning how to read music they're learning from their music teacher or from their their private teacher and that person knows music and can help them as they're stumbling along for sure yeah it's the same as if you could find if you could find uh someone who is it is uh, very fluent with with music braille to teach it to you that would be different but if it's just yes and that's how like you mentioned how your um one of your uh instructors was a math major i think you said yeah yeah um so that's that's sort of the opposite is, is an, op- an opposite thing compared to someone who is um a music major yeah. or would know music braille in that sense but. yeah yeah well you brought up the perfect pitch thing uh, thank you. Yeah, we were getting to. They kind of yeah. go hand in hand. When when someone says bro music, I go no, yeah, because I have that. But <laughs> yeah. And do you think do you think most people know about perfect pitch? I mean, it's it's just is it well known? Is it well known? Um. Yes, I think it's well known. In the sense, like, do people actually know what it means? I think so. On the surface, yeah. uh, is it understood? Not as much. And I also think there's a bit of a perception that it can be learned. And I really don't think it can. Like, right. I, I, I know for a fact that I was born with it. Um, and and I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many factors. I can't specifically say that my perfect pitch was a result of my blindness either it it could have been a result of just a lot of music exposure um starting like playing music really young although I was actually afraid of musical instruments when I was really really young so in a way it's kind of funny that I am such a musician because any live instruments scared the crap out of me until I was probably six years old um so yeah and then after that I basically took to piano like a fish out of water at that point and I had a friend who was doing the Suzuki method which is the when when kids sort of learn music by ear and have tapes that play bits of pieces and stuff and so I I started learning not learning that specific method but kind of learning on my own and then when I played for a talent show, I, I don't, I remember playing, but I don't remember what I played in, in terms of like, I can't sit down and play the piece that I played, but um, I was in the third grade and I wrote a piece for my mom. And the only thing I remember about it is that it was an A minor. And 
it, it was, I called it for mom. And apparently <laughs> after one of the teachers heard it, they freaked out and asked my braillist if I had a piano teacher and I didn't, and they recommended someone and like the rest is history. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's always been in my life. Uh, and I mean, I, I even have memories of when, like, when I realized, I mean, I didn't know I had it because I didn't know what it meant as a kid, but I know that I've had it since at least the age of five because um, my parents, I don't know if you guys are familiar with those CNIB tape decks. Yeah, they were, the, they were yeah, right. four track. It, or whatever they were. Yeah, right. And it had the different speeds and it was you could record things on different speeds and I think it was meant so they could cram more information into a tape. Yeah. Well, if, 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 if you didn't have a standard tape set to the normal speed, quote unquote, um, it would play funny because it wasn't meant to be played at that speed. And so I was listening to something in, cause at that time that was the only machine I had and my parents forgot to set the speed back and I was terrified to touch it because I was afraid of, scary noises and they had adjusted it but not quite so a disney tape that i was listening to was literally a semitone off and i started and i started crying and my parents were like what what's wrong and i'm like it's wrong it's wrong it's wrong and like when you don't have perfect pitch you don't understand that and i didn't have the words to express what was going on wow Hmm. Quite a story, yeah. Yeah, that's, that is fascinating for sure. Um, it's it is just very interesting because um, I also have perfect pitch, and yeah, two two out of three here. <laughs> is it is it a blessing or a curse? <laughs> that that was another point I was going to bring up. Where um, maybe not quite for the reason that you were saying, but for me, what I find that sometimes I miss, or some, the one thing I maybe don't like about it is sometimes when I'm listening to music. I'm always focusing on like what notes are they playing and what's what's happening in the music and sometimes I wish I could listen to music with a different mind where I could totally just be in the music and feel and hear the music without thinking so much and I don't know if Yeah, I, I think I think I'm the same way um the the fact that you say, you know, you're always hearing the notes. I don't think I'm hearing that's all subconsciously happening. So for me, I'm not like turning on a piece and going, I'm going to now think about what key is. It's all just there. But it does mean that when when something doesn't sound right, it immediately, like it doesn't even, it just it's just there. And so you hear it instantly. And it means that appreciating even amateur music is very, very difficult at times because you're constantly, to your point, analyzing. Yeah. And I think another, another thing to point out is, um, I was actually going to ask if, if you have, uh, ever met anyone else with perfect pitch? Yes, quite um, a few people. Because I also I just wanted to, not that it is even a myth or a rumor out there, but when I started uh, music industry arts here in college in London, um, there was a student. Um, she ended up leaving the program, I think, but she had perfect pitch and she was cited. So right oh, there, interesting. It, it dispelled the myth that it's, it's it's a blind thing, and I don't even know if that was out there. I just I think I always kind of wondered if how common it was and obviously yeah i mean I, d I don't know how common it is among sighted people the people that i know that have are blind um but it was interesting because i saw a documentary because people always want to know how to describe perfect pitch and 
I never knew how to describe it. And then this documentary, the sighted person said, to me, perfect pitch is like a color. It's just there. How do you know red is red and green is green? You just do. And I remember when my piano teacher was the one who discovered that I had perfect pitch because at my first lesson, I literally came to him and started playing stuff. Very obviously um, not technically perfect because I didn't know about fingerings and all those kind of things, but enough to shock him and enough to kind of test me and, and get me thinking. Um, as soon as he gave labels to those notes, it was as if he gave labels to those colors. So you now knew that red was red and green was green. And after that, they just existed. Wow. Yeah. Very. That's still so fascinating, the neuroscience of it all. Yeah, yeah it is a it is a very fascinating concept um, that, you know, if, if, if you don't have it, it, it is hard to explain. But it's like it's like anything like when I hear a word, I. I, I think the color the color comparison is really really great because that that does make sense. It's just like when it's this, this thing that is just so natural for someone, it's really hard to explain it to to someone else. Yeah, um, but I think uh, we're coming up on the halfway point and really interesting discussion here with Patricia. And we're going to take a quick break for some ads, and we'll be back with more outlook. Welcome back. You are listening to Radio Western, and this is Outlook. Special guest on today's show, Patricia Algersma. And thanks again for coming on Outlook. We really appreciate having you on. Awesome. Glad to be here. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, when I um, met you, you were speaking at the Canadian Federation of the Blind Convention uh, at the conference. And I just thought you were, had a really interesting take on things. So I was hoping to speak to you here on Outlook. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks. No worries. So we're having a fascinating discussion before the break about uh, perfect pitch, which I was hoping we'd get into here with the both of you uh, being born with that ability, as you call it, and me not. Um, it's interesting to still hear from you guys and hear your perspectives on things, like you compared it to color, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a really neat comparison. I never thought about it like that before, but um I think it is it's kinda like an opposite that I might have over a sighted person who says I was I just gonna say color. I, I was like, well it, it's a, yeah, it's a way to make it relatable to them, I think. Yeah. Yeah, there is it makes sense for sure. And I, I also think you were you were touching on um how learning perfect pitch doesn't really I don't think that's really possible as far as I can tell. I think from what I've heard, the only thing people kind of can learn is what's called relative pitch, where yes. they're hearing, they can think of a melody in their head, or if they sing a few notes, then they can figure out what a note is kind of thing. I think it's something more like that. It, it's it's when you, relative pitch is kind of so if you sing a note, you can figure out where, what a third above it is or a fifth above it or that type of thing. You can also develop like instrument pitch. So if you have played an instrument for a long enough time you're familiar with that instrument you just might know that instrument inside out so someone could play a note on that instrument and you'll know exactly what it is but like we can transfer it to anything like you're probably the same as me that and my friends do this so from my perspective I really apply my perfect pitch in a musical setting and it probably means to some degree that I can also use it in 
other ways. So like, for example, if a vacuum or something sounds like it's going to go, I usually know, or a microwave or some kind of, I don't know, the, if, the, if, if, if something sounds off, I'm usually the first to say it's off. Um, but uh, where was I going with this? Yeah, that I can, I usually apply it to a, a musical context, um, but I can also apply it to the environment as well. And so my friends will annoy me and they'll be like, oh, what's the note of that microwave? And once <laughs> once they say that, it's almost like your brain switches on and it takes a good 15, 20 minutes for me to kind of switch it off. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that, that's interesting too. And, you know, it's people have asked me that too with certain noises. Like um, I have a fluorescent light in my apartment and it if you leave it on long enough it gets really buzzy so there's this yep. like buzz that you're hearing and sometimes I'll, I'll I'll pick that out and people will ask what what note it is and then sometimes too it's like this is not, not necessarily related to perfect pitch but just focus and sound in general where sometimes it'll be buzzing and I'll I'll shut it off and someone's like oh like I didn't even notice that but now that you you shut it off now I yeah. notice it kind of thing and again that's yep. just something that sticks out more maybe for yes for us yeah so you went on to play other instruments then piano yeah yeah so i played i started piano um at the age of nine and then uh when band hit i started i took up flute and actually that was um thanks in part so every year the class before us like so the, the grade above us i guess it would be would come and they would essentially try and introduce you to band and encourage you to join um, because they wanted you to join right away so that there wasn't catch up that you'd have to do. And um, I was actually encouraged by a, a learning assistance teacher who um, played flute for a talent show to accompany a kid who was playing piano. And it just hit me as something I really wanted to do. And I had heard obviously the kids in the band, the grade above me, come and play for us. And so she was, she in combination with those, those kids was sort of my inspiration. Um, and it was, it was a really hard slog at first, uh, because most sighted kids, when they pick up flute initially, it's very much a look in the mirror type of deal. Um, cause the, the embouchure is extremely difficult on flute or at like to, to start with at least, um, picking that up can be quite challenging. For me, it took me four months. I had all my fingerings down, but I didn't have the embouchure until December. Um, but, and it's, it's still a work in progress now in terms of getting the tone that I want. And sometimes you'll have good tone days and bad tone days and all that kind of stuff. But I think now it's just what even just a general flutist experiences. But yeah, it, it was, it was a learning curve for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm figuring that out now, sort of looking at the music lessons in my 30s, just like the ways of teaching and the ways someone learns, um, you know, depending on the instrument, flute, obviously different than strings. Or oh, they're whatever. all different. They're all yeah. different. I, I actually have a violin in my house that I have been wanting to play, but I'm too scared, A, because it'll be a perfect pitch nightmare. <laughs> um, but it may be a good thing in a way, too, because we'll, I'd learn that real fast. <laughs> um, but I've been, I've been too scared. Uh, but, it, you know, I think it'll be a completely different experience from, from flute, but also from piano as well. So that I think every instrument is its own 
beast, but I think um, the benefit that I have is because I have two instruments behind me, it might come a little bit easier and I have a bit more theory as well. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, some Are of you the... sure? Maybe I should wait and have you learn the right way <laughs> and then, be able, so then you can teach me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of my friends is saying that violin is going to be the worst instrument for me, A, because of the perfect pitch thing, and B, because uh, I have some spatial issues as well due to my ROP. And he says, don't forget, a violin doesn't have frets, and you're going to struggle with, with your distances. So I, I don't know if I will or not, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I played around with Carrie's violin a tiny bit, and it, I don't know the technique or anything. And the thing is that it is so small that it's the distance is so minor between notes, and and uh, it is definitely a challenge. And it's like it's like any instrument, like you say, it's everything is different. I mean, I started with a little bit of piano, but then moved on to to guitar, and then in high school, briefly took trumpet, but mainly stuck with the guitar. But I do remember switching to trumpet in high school was kind of like, whoa, this is this doesn't almost doesn't feel like an instrument. Like you're just so used to yeah. playing with my hands with a guitar yes. and a piano. And then your hands are involved, but again, it's more, it's, it's more different, the, more the you mouth, got the, the whole air the support. And stuff, yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah. It's definitely a challenge. And, and the Braille music then too is not, not great. But. <laughs> yeah. But not practical. Yeah. yeah. Whereas our, our guest from, from uh, last show, um, is, has been in choirs and in that case she's she's found braille music very very helpful because you can sing and read it at the same time exactly yeah so that's where i could see it having a bit more of a benefit um i mean it could for a regular instrument for any instrument too if you but then again i think it, uh, yeah i definitely it, but, think it could you do yeah but uh yeah well i, I recently heard some flute you i think shared um and it was really nice to listen to that so Thanks. Yeah. a lovely sound and all the years you've been musical, as they say. Um, do you want to maybe explain about, um, a minute ago you'd said something about having spatial issues. I don't know if you found it easy to explain what that is to people. Um, um, I've heard that before. No. <laughs> I, I, I honestly wish it was um, mm -hmm. easy, easy to explain. I think... Uh, the people who could probably relate the most are the RO peers. I, I bet there's some listening to this right now who are kind of raising their hands and saying, yes, I hear you. And, but everyone else is kind of what? Mm -hmm. um, so for me, oh, it, it varies. I struggle with my sense of where I am <laughs> in space. So uh, one of my friends told me it, probably has something to do with proprioception. So the way that your limbs move and, and um, your joints and, and different parts of your body in relation to you, you're not aware of, of where they are sometimes. And that, that's definitely me. Uh, I find, so I guess a really good example is sometimes I can be in my own apartment and somehow like get turned around where whatever that may be. And I'll literally have a moment where I will not know, like, I'll, I'll see the landmarks around me or the objects and I'll be like, okay, I'm by the couch, but I need to get to my room and I won't be able to walk there because my mind is literally blank. Um, it means that mental mapping is extremely difficult for me. Uh, I can do it, but it takes a lot of work. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, 
like I say, some, some days are better than others. Uh, usually if I'm anxious or have something else going on like in my mm-hmm. mind, I can't, uh, focus and, and like having that focus being taken away usually means that I'll have trouble that day. Um, yeah, it's, it's not, it, 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 it it's meant, it's been challenging. Like it translated even to, um, reading tactile graphics and all that kind of stuff was, was always really difficult for me too. Yeah. That term, it, it is interesting. And, you know, with, with this show and specifically, we talk about all different types of blindness and all, all these different things that you can't, it's really hard to fully explain and people can't totally relate unless, unless they have it. But um, a term that has come up on this show before too is is mental mapping, and for listeners who may not know what that is, it's 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 basically knowing where things are in relation to other things. Um, and I think being able to, you know, when you're outside, ha- getting an idea of knowing what's where in relation to where you are, and it's again, it's one of those things that as a blind person, it's something we have to try and work on, and it's easier for some than others, and it takes focus for all anyone I think and then if if you if you deal with other you know anxiety or whatever it may be that loses that focus to any any amount then it just makes it really difficult because we have to be focused on that all the time when we're traveling and yeah for sure yeah which is which is actually making working from home not it, basically when I was in the office full time, I was in the office full time and my colleagues would joke and say, why don't you work from home more? Cause they would work from home more than I would. I was in the office oh. every day. Um, uh, unless I had early morning meetings or like a reason why I had to work from home. It always, there always had to be a reason. And my main reason for doing it was because I knew that if I didn't get out, it would be very easy for me just to not want to. And to just not do it because I didn't want like facing the challenge of getting out and dealing with all the spatial issues and then dealing with the regular things that all of us blind people have to face when we travel, like people grabbing us or trying to inadvertently help us or whatever, you know, X, Y, Z. So much so that I've, I've said to my manager, as soon as we are able to go back to the office, I want to be one of the first people to go back because it's not good for my mental health. And I, I know that I've lost a lot in these last seven months in terms of skill and confidence and all of that, that is going to take just as long to bring back up again, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is really interesting. And I think it it's always that balance. And I, I, I can see both sides of that where in one sense, it's it must be nice to, to work from home to some, in some ways. And, and the fact, like you were saying, you're focusing all of that mental energy to get to work and deal with all of the spatial or whatever it may be traveling there. So that's almost work in itself sometimes. Yes. And then, and oh, then you get sure. to work and then you have to work again when you get there. And um, <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, if you, it's like anything, whether we, we um, find difficulties with certain things, it's, it doesn't mean we want to totally give that up and not no. push it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's all, it's all about a balance and, I don't know. I guess maybe you need all the practice, but wondering about maybe like a combination of both from home and and from working in the workplace. Yeah, and I think like initially it's going to be that way. Like I don't know right. what 
what it's going to look like when I go back because who knows what it'll be. But I I do know in the beginning I'll probably just do one day a week in the office and then work up to two and work up to three and then maybe I will do two two days from home. Who knows? But it definitely needs to be more of a balance and I, I, I do need to get kind of back out there again because... Yeah, right now I can use my cane steadily for about 15 minutes at a time before my wrist says forget it. Hmm. Growing up through school and all of it, what would you say was more difficult things for you to um, grasp? Was it the technology or was it more the travel? And Oh, for sure the travel, especially because... I had no access, like, I didn't really live in a city, so in order to get to the city, which wasn't that far away by car, uh, but in order to get there, I had to be driven there, and then once you're there, it was kind of like, well, you're there now, so we might as well now drive you to wherever you need to go, because, you know, so it, it, it was very difficult. I would learn things like the buses and stuff in high school, but as a teenager, A, because you've got teenage brain, you're like, why do I want to do this? And B, I really struggled to find the practical. Like, I'm a pretty practical person. And even looking back on it as an adult, I think, yeah, you know, sure, you had teenage brain and you didn't realize how important this would be. But in the same sense, you it wasn't super practical either, given what you were in. So, yeah, that was definitely a challenge. Technology... It's funny, as a kid, I loved technology and I loved learning new things and tech was really easy for me. Now, I like the longer I can use whatever I've got, <laughs> like, I, I don't want to learn technology now because it's like, oh, I'm already doing so much working and I just want <laughs> to do stuff for pleasure now. But I don't know. Technology keeps evolving, so you got to keep up with it. It really does keep evolving. Like you can't keep up. Yeah, it is. It is crazy. But then, if you, if you don't if you don't keep up with it for a few years, I mean, I'm I'm kind of the same way with certain things. Like my, I had a iPhone 4s and I had it for six years. I was like, I'm not I'm not gonna rush to get the newest thing right away. This still works. But eventually, you do kind of get left behind, and people say, Oh, yeah. there's this app that you can do this, and then you feel kind of like, Oh, maybe I maybe I should try to step it up a bit here and get with the times. Yeah. So, yeah, um, we're have a, just around 10 minutes left. So there were a couple things I wanted to talk a little bit about. I thought a little bit about um, after after high school, college or university and your experiences there. And then a little bit about today, what, what where you work and, and what your job is like these days. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, after high school, I went to university and I got a degree in psychology uh, major in psychology and minor in French with uh, the aspirations of becoming a counselor. Um, and through circumstances that didn't happen, but it led me to Vancouver. Um, and then uh, basically after a little bit of schooling kind of post undergrad here, um, a friend of mine um, connected me with somebody from um, HSBC, the bank, and uh, I started working there in 2013, and I've been permanent since 2014. So, but but basically working full time for uh, what seven years now? It'll be eight years in in 2021. So, um, 
yeah, I'm a project manager. That's what my current role is. And so I uh, chair a lot of meetings and I, um, you know, chase a lot of people for into it <laughs> to make sure they, they uh, stick to their deadlines. And um, I keep people organized and yeah, I basically help the rest of the bank accept change that is inevitably inevitably coming. So it, it could be, you know, implementing a new system. I kind of help to work with the different stakeholders to get that implemented. I don't actually have to know the technology or know what's being, you know, th that's left to them to to sort out. But I need to make sure the project actually gets done. So that that's basically my role. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a really rewarding and challenging experience is it what i love not necessarily but for me i am more about the security aspect of it in terms of you know i have a great job and i'm making money and it's allowing me to live comfortably so you know i'll i'll do what i need to do until i can you know do what i love later in life i, I was gonna say i was thinking about asking you that that sort of age-old question that feels like what did you want to be when you grow up? If it's rarely ever what you ever would have thought, but uh, you didn't want to be project manager, maybe per se, when you were little. I don't know. Have you always? Oh no! <laughs> you imagine um, a five-year-old saying project manager? <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, well, when I was twelve, apparently I because I read stuff from back then that I had recently found, and apparently I wanted to be in tech, which I have absolutely no desire to be in tech. Um, no. Nope. And when I was fourteen, I actually wanted to be a French interpreter until I learned what an interpreter did. Then I switched that to French translation. And that was my goal uh, <laughs> up until university, like pretty far into it too. But then my grades weren't high enough. And then I really took an interest in psychology and that became my major. And I think sometimes I wish I was still able to do counseling, but Counseling is very oversaturated too. Like a lot of people want to do it. And so I don't know. Project management is kind of, I don't know any other blind project managers. So if there are any blind project mm -hmm. managers, get in touch because um, I feel like I'm on a lonely island here. But yeah, it's, for sure. It's, it's, a, it's a new experience. And if I can trailblaze, I mean, that's been my whole life anyway. So why stop now? <laughs> yeah. No, you feel. Wow. So what kind of things do you use? to do your job that people might not um not too much different from the average person other than you know from a blindness perspective the screen reader and uh, i have a braille display and actually that's pretty much it like i i don't we don't really deal with very much print paper so mm -hmm. i don't use a scanner or anything for work um yeah so it's pretty much just my screen reader and my braille display um you know, software is accessible to greater or lesser degrees. I probably encounter more accessibility challenges than not. But you have your workarounds, which is mostly colleagues helping out where they can. And then I, you know, try and fight to ensure accessibility going forward in a lot of cases and then just take it from there. Yeah, it's hard to know. You know, I don't, I guess when most people think maybe blind people would never have a job at a bank, but as we pointed out before, there's many within a bank that you can do. Um, yeah, our last, our guest last week also works in a bank, not as a project manager, yeah, but a um, bit of a pattern. Yeah, another blind person working in a bank. So, 
it's just you know there's there's always these stats that are talked about with employment rate and nobody knows for sure what they are but we we do realize that they're higher than they they should be for blind people or the the percentages are higher of unemployment for blind people than they should be so it's just it is very refreshing when you when you when you get to talk to blind people who are employed and it it just it gives i think it is very inspirational and gives hope for for anyone well that... i'm i'm yeah i'm glad like because i i never i i always say to people i said now that i work i have i have as much right to complain about it as you all do <laughs> um but the what but the one thing that i do that you guys don't is i never take it for granted right because it could end just as easily as it came wow yeah, yeah i was just thinking about that recently actually good thought so you are an iphone user then i am yeah do you have any favorite apps that you really like? You know, I tend to use my iPhone like a phone. <laughs> uh, really? I, yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm an odd person. I probably talk like a thousand or more hours a month. Um, I text probably just as much as I talk, but I, I enjoy talking. I don't have data, uh, mostly because I'm always around Wi-Fi. And when I am traveling, I want to concentrate on where I'm going. And I, I'm always afraid that if I get lost, I've now wasted my battery on a GPS. So uh, let's concentrate on figuring out where you are first. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like the average person. I do my banking on my computer because I... I can use a touch screen, but I don't enjoy a touch screen. Yeah. So if I can use a keyboard, I will. Um, uh, favorite app. Oh, you know what? Favorite apps? AnyTune. Um, I use it to, when we were in band and when that was actually happening, um, I would use it to practice my music. So I would get um, MP3 files sent to me of just the flute part that was uh, extracted from a scanned musical score and brought through Sibelius or some other music software. Um, and then it's sent to me and I can use any tune to slow down the tempo of the piece without changing the pitch. So I use that extensively. Well, any tune. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, from music to technology, you know, we met, we met uh, Patricia here, our guest, at a Canadian Federation of the Blind uh, convention last year. And just so interesting to talk to you about all these things, perfect pitch. And uh, yeah, I haven't had a perfect pitch guest for a while. Hey, bro. <laughs> I, well, we have one every week, but that's the <laughs> I I called, so. I said guest. <laughs> oh, you said guest, yeah. I'm not a guest. I'm a... I didn't say host. <laughs> oh. Um, what what do you think about educating people, Patricia? As far as how much do you often feel that's your job or not your job? Like you said, um, when you're traveling and people might grab you or whatever. Yeah, I I feel like I'm I'm feeling like it's less my job now than I did say six seven months ago. But it was mainly because um, I read a something a little while ago within the time that we've worked uh, since the pandemic that basically said. If you're, if you really want to be an ally of someone, um, in whatever form that takes, um, you should take the time to educate yourself on, you know, whatever it is, uh, disability, um, Black Lives Matter, what, uh, you know, Indigenous, take take the time to educate yourself. And when I read that, it's almost like it lifted a weight off my shoulders, and I went, you know what? It's okay if I choose not to educate today, and. It's taken 
Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens when I get into the real world, but. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, it is one of those things that it's, it's always a balance. I think it's, it's important to educate people, but we also have to live our lives and get through the day twos and can't always be, be doing that. And if, you know, if, if people want to learn about something, they're going to, they'll, they'll find out it's not always in that moment, depending on what's happening. So, yeah. All right. Well, we're pretty much wrapping things up here. Time flies. And we've been speaking with Patricia Algersma here on Outlook today. Thanks so much for coming on. And best of luck in the future. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say at the end of the show or plug or if there's anything. Uh, yeah, a big social media person. <laughs> no. I do like to follow you. I seem to. We seem to have the same memory with like time as far as pop culture and like we just talk about that 70s show stuff like that it's like we can go back to the same time period there so. yeah i guess i don't know 90s nostalgia <laughs> if you exactly. want to talk 90s find me <laughs> exactly thanks patricia thanks for coming on at look no problem find us on twitter at outlook cfb and on facebook facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.